1: Hi, this is Sima Lieberman on the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome to Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we bring people together from different backgrounds to talk about race and have a comfortable conversation. My guests today, I have two amazing guests. I have my dear friend and colleague, Edgar Curros, and a new friend, uh, Manat Al-Atma. And I'm going to have both of them introduce themselves. So, Edgar, let's start with you.
0: Well, thank you, uh, Sima, and nice to meet you, uh, Milat. Um, I'm Edgar Quiroz, um, born and raised not too far from these studios here on Patrol Hill in San Francisco. Um, I am the the youngest child of four uh, children, uh, born of immigrant parents from Mexico, um, and I currently um, live in the East Bay um, with my wife, I'm the father of four uh, adult uh, college graduate children, and a Proud grandfather of three uh, grandkids between the ages of two and t- eleven years of age.
3: Thank you, Manat. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, and it's very nice to meet both of you. First, uh, I'd like to introduce myself as a Muslim, um, second, North African Egyptian immigrant, and also a woman of color, and a student at Cal. Thank you, Edgar. You have been. In, you had.
1: You were an activist in the early days, am I right? Yes. And you spoke on issues of immigrant rights. You were involved with farm workers.
0: Well, um, I have traced in my family's um, background that my family, my grandparents, were political prisoners during the Mexican Revolution in eighteen, excuse me, nineteen fifteen. So, so I've had in me um, a a fight for social justice. Um, Growing up here in San Francisco, um, during the, quote-unquote, war on poverty uh, after uh, 1968, my father was very much involved in organizing in the community. And by being, you know, the youngest, he would tag me along. um, And it was there where I was exposed to uh, social activism uh, around youth leadership development um, and uh, became very active with my dad on the... uh, great boycotts with Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers.
1: Thank you. And Minat, I'd say you were active today. Tell us a little bit
3: about projects you're involved in. Um, So to begin, um, I work with a nonprofit in Guatemala that is centered around the empowerment of women, specifically um, indigenous women that Cultivate their own businesses, and so this nonprofit funds microloans, uh, which was, which is a notion f- uh, founded upon, um, or founded by uh, Muhammad Yunus in Bangladesh, and brought to regions like Guatemala. Um, and so, these women um, have their own businesses in which they are able to bring in more income for the family and are able to allow their students, their kids, to attend school instead of selling things on streets. Um, Another program that I work in, or generally I enjoy um, seeing things being vibrant, being active, and so Um, orchestrating events like the one I'm orchestrating for September uh, for a Latino Middle Eastern Solidarity Group um, just to see, um, or just to make clear that there needs to be more work done and there is history of solidarity in our past and that we need to keep things moving along and keeping it resonant and um, keeping it going, especially during these times when Things are very fragile. You know, with all the talk
1: about race, and you know how important that conversation is to me, so much of it, though, in the media is around black and white. So I would like to ask each of you, how do you relate to the topic of race? And how does it impact you?
0: Well, uh, as a Latino uh, brown-skinned man in America, it affects me every single day. By um, either direct um, um, uh, comments or um, unspoken tension. Uh, I think I think um, we cannot be a colorblind society. I think folks, you know, uh, they they get a pass when they think I see everybody the same. That's um, that's, to me, that's really not addressing um, uh, understanding one's, history, to me, is very, very important. Um, and one, um, knowing that they may not ever be fully competent in somebody else's culture, but having the humility of asking and learning and having authentic conversation is, um, to me, the the beginning of race relations. Um, I think it's uh, evident that uh, this current um, president has divided this country based on race and um, uh, allowed uh, individuals who have had these feelings um, so for so many years and deeply held within uh, able to express themselves because they're able to get away with it just like he.
1: Now, have you seen, Edgar, have you seen any differences from when you were growing up to now in terms of Activism, and also in terms of how issues around race affects Latino people.
0: Well, um, yes, yes, I, I think um, now you, it's becomes more and more a, a matter of life and death. Um, the the struggle it it, it results um, in uh, in institutionalized racism. Then and now, um, what it would be very um, infrequent that we would growing up. Uh, have police involved shootings you know and now it is an everyday topic so over the last 59 years of my life um, I've seen uh, us moving more and more towards a police state and 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 really a part of um, the economics that support that police state is um, incarceration of primarily men of color, African-American and Latino. So, so that, that has been something that we knew existed in the early 70s and not-for-profit organizations like RAP, um, uh, Horizon Unlimited, Central De Camus, These were youth organizations in the mis- Mission District. They f- one of their primary purposes was to close down the Youth Guidance Center um, here in San Francisco because it was there the beginning of the, the, the criminal justice system for many young people.
1: And Minat, as a young North African woman who's also a Muslim, what experiences have you had recently in terms of, in terms of dealing with issues around race and racism?
3: So um, I think we can all agree that despite its subjective and unfixed nature, race itself is fundamental to the structuring and understanding of the social world. And for many of us, our appearance evokes one recurring question, where are you from, right? And so um, usually my hegeb um, is like an immediate question, um, I guess, invitation to call me a Taliban or on the street, which has happened to me numerous times before, or um, businesses who have rejected um, me as, like, going into their service and seeking their service, who have closed their doors. Um, so, yeah, no, just a lot of weird looks. Um, and again, it's that question of, like, where are you from? And that, you know, it's it's important to understand that language itself is very instrumental um, to to how we op- like how we as humans operate, or h- how we as beings operate, and it's truly the ultimate weapon one yields on a day to day basis. And so, um, the ability to use that language can be as influential as it can be detrimental. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. So, and and Edgar, having grown up
1: and being Young being an activist, do you, what do you see today? What do you think some of the biggest issues are today for, one, young people of color, and two, people who are immigrants, and three, young people who are affected by DACA? So I'm, I'm asking you three three questions.
0: Well, I, I think my response would be the same for all three of those uh, populations, and that is um, the lack of... Um, of uh, a constructive and affordable education and of quality education um, is, is the biggest challenge. Um, I think with, um, with those three, um, one can easily begin to start um, uh, guiding um, a young person, let's say, um, who, will already at a very early age be labeled as somebody who's not going to receive a high school diploma or a college degree. And this whole tracking system is what I was referring to earlier around this um, this criminal justice uh, industry here, that to keep those private jails open, um, you gotta have some residents. And those residents, we know them as inmates. Uh, it, it's, it's an incredibly awful system and it's it's um, it's motivated by greed, by money, um, and 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 I think if folks really would check their four hundred one k's and their mutual uh, <laughs> funds, if it, you know, if any of those um, funders are funding private jails, then you can just say, I don't want to fund that. I mean, that's a simple thing you can do. Um, let me just say before I go any further, is that I'm inspired by uh, Mamad, um, and 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 and. I, I'm inspired because it gives me um, hope. In the generation is is that um, seeing a articulate, uh, educated, um, uh, politically active young woman with a incredible future ahead of herself gives me hope. As I begin, um, I'm not going to call it my sunset, but you know, uh, <laughs> there's there's going to be there's going to be a point in not too far where I'm going to you know hang up the gloves. Um, and and dedicate myself on being the best um, grandfather that I can because I've dedicated my whole life working with young people and that kept me young, and relevant I believe. Um, so I am inspired. Um, I don't have the doomsday. Um, uh, you just
3: gotta power through.
0: We got we gotta power through it. You know uh, I gotta tell you though this last week in the in the U.S. and around the world scares me around this uh, this uh, global warming and climate change. You know it's um, yeah. <sighs> You know, we, how much more evidence do we need? So I hope I answered your question. I kind of feel like I went off, but... Um,
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I going off is okay. I mean, because this is really is just... This is mainly we just want to have a, a conversation. And sometimes I might ask a question. I don't know where the answer is going to lead, but that's okay, because yeah. usually the answer is better than the question that I asked.
0: Well, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask one of your guests, Mike... Please, please, yeah, please. Is, is about this... Um, This alliance between um, Arab Latino uh, Mm -hmm. students and youth. And and I have to reflect in my years as an undergrad at San Francisco State, uh, I was inspired by the Palestinian Student Union organization with the Iranian student organizations who were beginning their revolution against the Shah at the time, and having um, uh, other classmates. Who were very much involved with the 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 Judaism and um, Zionism uh, position allowed me to really and these were all my friends, you know, and 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 I think it's it's tremendously beautiful because I know many Latino and Latinas who um, have their partners, uh, husbands, wives are of Arab descent, and and it, it tells me that there is so much common commonalities between the cultures um and it's a beautiful thing it's um it's something that i think is really more um more easily attainable than what one would think you know you would think that we're really complete opposites from the opposite sides of the globe but in fact we probably have much more similarities and and i'm inspired by 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 you um initiating that work
3: thank you so much Um, i think it's interesting uh you reminded me that I actually get, like as an Egyptian, I get more questions, or I get the same number of questions as like, do you speak hieroglyphics, which is an ancient <laughs> language? And and like when I speak Spanish, it's like, wow, you know Spanish, it's, it's a lot of like confusion. So, so they're confused more about me speaking a language that millions upon millions speak, un- like more than an entire continent of people speak rather than an ancient language, just because I'm from that specific region. Um, But also, I think there's a lot of beauty in um, just meeting new people and being able to converse and learn and understand experiences from new people because then you yourself learn so much about what the true essence of life is, which is learning, gaining knowledge. That's how you attain peace,
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah.
0: I, I can't agree with you more, and and, uh, and I think the onus is really on us, and I mean us, and that is those individuals who conscientiously want to eliminate hate and make more peace, um, is to initiate those conversations, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I have to be confident when I meet somebody for the first time that may be of completely different heritage or background or education or economic status Mm -hmm. that I engage in a conversation. Mm -hmm. If I were to wait for others to engage Mm -hmm. me, I think I would miss out so many opportunities. Mm and that might just be my nature of loving people, you know, wanting to, you know, um, uh, get to know somebody. But but I think you're absolutely correct. Um, I too, I too have often, in most of my life, have been asked. So where are you from? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, I just somebody asked that to me just two days ago during one of the uh, what is it called the 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 carpool commutes. You know, from the East Bay, I was talking to a a, a passenger, and she said, "Where are you from?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "From." Victoria Hill, San Francisco, you know, mm-hmm. um, and she did not know, um, when I lived in, me- uh, excuse me, in, um, in Spain, uh, for two years, um, as you all know, the, uh, Spain had for over 600 years, a Moorish, um, cultural, um, existence. So folks thought I was Arabic just because mm-hmm. of my olive skin and, um, and, um, other features that I have. So I can't deny those in terms of who we are as, as people. Um, but it really, I have found that that I can't wait. I can't wait for somebody to approach me. If I genuinely want to know somebody, I have to approach them. And I have to pay attention to my intuition, my gut, because my gut tells me things. And if I'm picking up any negative vibe or like unwelcome energy, then guess what? I won't go there. Why? Because I will be attracted to somebody who is wants to meet me halfway.
1: Well, thank you for that, because our next topic, after we take a break, is going to be about how do you talk about race with people who are different than you, and how do you have that conversation? So uh, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist on the Michelle Mayow Show, and right now we're taking a break.
5: The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook. And when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at CommonwealthClub.org.
4: And now back to the Michelle Meow Show.
1: Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the Inclusionist, and we're back again on on, on the Michelle Meow Show. And my two guests today are Edgar Chirlos and Manat Al Atma. And what's one thing that's really exciting? We have people from two different cultures, Edgar. Is Latino? His family originally from Mexico, but not not but his his parents and grandparents. And uh, Manat's family is from Egypt. In fact, she was born in Egypt, and even more born than in that, Oman. oh Oman, <laughs> Oman, and even more than that, we have people from. They are both from totally different generations. So this is really exciting. And before the break, we were talking about how to talk about talking about race. So I'm going to ask both of you, do you talk about issues of race only with people? Do you talk about issues with race and of race, and do you talk about issues of race with people who are from different cultural backgrounds than you? So we'll start with
3: Minat um, So when talking about race, I think it's very important to like if, for example, if you're having a conversation with someone who disagrees with you um, for, or if you want to call them out don't just call them out call them in so like include them sometimes honestly it's better sometimes it's better to be blunt about someone's nonsense but other times you have to understand that all these issues have been internalized in their mind. so they would first need to do a lot of unlearning and then learning and so it's n- sh- certainly a sh- not a short path it's a long path that requires so much effort but um and but it's still so critical. And we cannot only do things to benefit ourselves, We need to have these conversations. We need to go out to rallies. We need to support people other than those that, who look like us. Uh, like, for example, right now with DACA, we need to support um, every, every kind of, undocumented person. It's not necessarily Latino. There are black undocumented, there are a myriad of undocumented folks out there who deserve our support, and not because they support us, but because their existence matters and their right to be granted access into the society is just as equal as ours. Edgar, how about you? How do you
1: have conversations about race,
3: and you have it with people who
1: are different than you?
0: Yes, and and I have it every day. Um, I, I, myself, being being raised in a multicultural community. Um, All four of my children are multiracial. I've successfully, I guess if you want to say that, raised three black men. Um, And um, so race is an everyday conversation um, in in our household. Um, Even in my work profession, um, now as a community provider, of, of um, home health and hospice services, um, our company has made an early commitment to serve those communities where other companies don't want to go. And, you know, we can think of many right around where we uh, live now, East Oakland, San Pablo, Richmond, you know, those are areas where some folks don't want to serve those communities. And, and we hear it all the time. Um, so when 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 our, our clinicians go and they cross those different racial barriers, you know, our our patients know we're there to help them, and you know, when when one is ill or recovering from a uh, an injury or illness, one is at their most vulnerable state. So um, so being able to uh, care for individuals across cultures. Is a uh, an immediate way of of building bridges. Um, I think why I think about it every single day is because even in the health professions there is an extreme shortage of um, of uh, diversity in the health professions to date, um, beginning with you know physicians, nurses, uh, and other health professionals. So as we serve those communities, I'm always in search of um, bicultural bilingual, preferably, um, uh, health care workers, because they are the ones that are going to serve the communities that we serve. Um, you know, in, in raising my, my three boys in particular, I always had this fear of once they got the driver's license, you know, like any parent does, you know, and they think about drunk driving, they think about, you know, all the stuff. But, but I remember teaching each one of them what, what I called uh, the field attitude test, and the field attitude test is what to do and how to act when you get pulled over by a police officer, um, and and I have you know you have to model that behavior as a parent, and um, now having uh, three grown men, I watch how they interact and and guess what those uh, those teachings of the field attitude test. Um, in their, in their teens, they have taken along with them as men, and um, they have a greater sense of confidence and feel safe in their environment because of having that attitude. Um, it can easily be one that threatens individuals, which can escalate into hate and violence.
1: I mean, it's really sad that and angering that people who or different than, say, the norm-dominant culture, you have to give them extra instructions. So, like, if you're, a, if, if you're a parent of a brown or a black kid, you have to give them extra instructions. If you're a parent of, of a young Muslim woman or, or an Orthodox Jew who covers their heads, you have to give these people special instructions because at some point, somebody's going to say something. At some point, your kids are going to feel unsafe, and I really like what you said about calling people in, particularly around, you know, because, you know, I'll talk about race with anybody. I don't, you know, I'm always going to talk about it. It's important to me. But my credo is educate, don't annihilate. And
0: I Amen. get, you
1: know, and, and but <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know if I'd want to work on college campuses these days. Because I think, in my opinion, I'd like to hear what both of you th- say, that I think there still is too much attacking going on if somebody accidentally says something that, out of ignorance instead of educating them. So, and I really like what you said about calling
3: people in. So, would you say a little bit more about that? Um, so, again, um, like, for example, uh, anti-blackness, which is an institutional racist framework. It also exists in Egypt against the um, Egyptian Nubian communities who are darker-skinned. Um, but that in itself, anti-blackness, like it's something that we learn. Like so many things, so many things we like internalize uh, that we don't necessarily recognize immediately. But that that's a part of the unlearning process. So we have to understand that um, just different backgrounds, different ways of being raised. Maybe it wasn't the right one, or maybe some things we learned wrong. Some things we are just. We socially internalize and we don't correct it, but we must correct it. We must rise above all this and we must rise by lifting others.
1: Thank you, thank you for that. And so I hear you talking about educating people and bearing in mind the fact that messages people had growing up impact them today. And we can help people. I mean, it's our responsibility to help people rather than, like I said, educate, don't annihilate people. Edgar, how about you?
0: Well, you know, when, when, when you said that, similar you know, I had a visual, you know, and and, and that visual is, you know, um, uh, the opportunities to educate um, versus alienate, or um, or that's what you said, right? Yeah, educate, yeah.
1: don't don't annihilate.
0: Anni- annihilate. I think about a pesty fly, mm-hmm. you know, that's bugging you, and it's flying around you. You know, you don't try to kill a fly with a sledgehammer because the collateral damage that you do. Is so much greater, but you try then to address that fly, you know, by shooting it out of your house or or finding a way to, you know, not let it be a pest. I think the education piece is is much more effective, and it does require a greater um, sense of patience, mm-hmm. because, as you said, Manat, that um, there's to be able to take in new knowledge, new information. You have to unlearn so many of the of the biases that that you were. Um, um, experiencing as 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 a as a person, you know, uh, growing up, I, I think I think it's important to also keep in mind the that that race doesn't just divide, but other things divide. Social economic yeah. status, uh, educational uh, differences also divide individuals. Um, so, I mean, I, I had a rude awakening. Um, when I was 20 years old, I uh, applied and received a year scholarship to go study in Mexico City at uh, at 19 years of age. And, and I was like already, you know, Chicano power movement of the 70s and 80s. I, you know, was going back to my Mecca. I was going to learn about the great civilizations before the colonizers came. And I went to a um, university that had a relationship with San Francisco State. And I got to tell you, when I got there, I was probably one of the most dark-complected students there, except for the African students who were part of my cohort with the International Studies Program. So I started realizing that in Mexico, there is racism against darker-skinned indigenous people. Um, We see and know now the 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 influence of um, Afro Latinos in, in Mexico, in Central America, in South America, um, and how how disappointed I was, how disappointed I was that I was being judged, one as an American foreign student, two as a dark skinned person, and equated to being a uncivilized or a, um, uh, an Indian. And, and that's one of the worst, the worst insults a, a Mexican could give another fellow Mexican is calling them, you know, you're acting like a, a Naco or an Indian, which wow. is such an insult. But I got to tell you, I've seen this, this superiority trip, have nothing to do with rape. Both of them are Mexicans, yeah. you know, and I would imagine if you go to other cultures, you see this, th- these brothers, you know, having different um, uh, beliefs about one another.
1: Thank you. so Thank you so much. And when we come back from our break, this is Sim of the Inclusionist on the Michelle Miao Show. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to address that issue.
4: The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought
3: leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family.
6: So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The
4: Michelle Meow Show.
1: Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist on the Michelle Meow Show with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. And today my guests are Edgar Curdoz and Manat Al Atma. And before the break, we were talking about colorism. We were talking about issues of being light skinned being a person of color, being light and dark, and, and different issues amongst people of color. Uh, and Edgar, you wanted to add, you had a good question for, for Manat. Would you repeat that?
0: Well, I, yeah. Um- I wanted to know um, if similar to what I experienced as a international student in Mexico and seeing how um, um, complexion was a barrier between fellow Mexicans, I wanted to know if in um, in her experience in Egypt or other um, North African countries, um, does that divide exist and have dark skinned persons ascended in the power structure both economical, political um, yeah I'm just wondering if that's a phenomenon that exists as well
3: For sure even in like North Africa like especially with all the immigration from um, East Africa like to North Africa to reach the Mediterranean uh, many are unable to work many are because many are seen as you know the, the, the generic, Um, like, characteristics, um, or like, bias characteristics. uh, Filthy, they're uneducated, they're this, they're that. And so they're really segregated or pushed away, or very exclusive to um, just lighter skinned folks. And I think that in itself has a lot of privilege. And um, I think it's a lot of influence from the, when Africa was you know the European monopoly mm-hmm. the game right um, and so when England Germany and uh, F- France like dominated the North North Africa region it really had great influence on how we perceive one another and so to change our perception and internalize that, the darker ones are really the ones who should be the very bottom cast of society and that they should not have access to these kind of resources or these kind of um, opportunities or the same kind of sense of home like even when we're from the same place this w- they're not they're not granted the same sense of home mm-hmm. or belonging
0: interesting um and, and I wonder how how do we overcome that? And now that we've called this land home, you know, um, how do we model that behavior to um, basically um, eliminate exclusion and, and and create more inclusive environments? You know, part of, part of me feels that you know, like it sounds cliches, but everything starts at home. You know, you have to uh, have an inclusive home. Uh, environment, and, and that means listening to your your children's point of view. You know, as mm. a as a father and grandfather, I, I made a a very interesting uh, realization a couple of uh, a couple of years ago that I remember growing up. Uh, I I thought I would always be smarter than my kids <laughs> be, because because I had more life experiences, and yeah, I have that graduate degree. But you know what? It was very recent. Um, that that I had to, I had to um, concede that that my children are smarter than me in many many ways because their experiences are different than mine, and and after fighting it for a while mm-hmm. and losing arguments and saying you know uh, I know more and just because of my hierarchy as a as a f- parent, I had to be humble to say wow, let me learn from this generation. And like I'm learning from you, Manat, you know, and and other, that to me has been a a revelation and a change Um, because I guess I I struggled with having the bias that age means wisdom. And that's absolutely incorrect because there are some old ass (laughs) fools, you know, who are ignorant. And I think it doesn't take too much imagination to figure those out. So age does not equate with wisdom. I see wisdom in the next generation, like sitting across the studio right here.
1: Yeah, yeah and also you could be an old racist is an old racist. <laughs> yeah. Young racist gets older, they're an old racist. And And I agree. And I think that one issue I hear in a lot of the programs that I do that's why I'm really glad to have him and not to have you here, that there's always going to be somebody who's going to get up and say, oh, young people today, they don't need to talk about race. They're so open, blah, blah, blah. And I always say, well, I'm watching TV shows, you know, when they show like the Nazis, those are young people. It's young people who are bullying other young people. Who are the skinheads? Young people. So I think that... It's important to note that. So do you ever hear that? Do you ever hear people say, oh, you young people, mm-hmm. or you don't need any of this?
3: All the time. But I think it's very important to, to distinguish the two. Because, for example, a global poverty and practice professor at UC Berkeley can be talking all he wants or all they want about poverty when you can learn much more about the structures of violence. Um, and when poverty is violence and so you can learn more about the structures of violence from even a child in Yemen right now or a child in Egypt like I would see um normally I'd see this one girl on on my street who'd be selling napkins just like napkins to try to uh build get some income for their family. And so and there are a lot of complexities into structural violences. And not only is the focus of concern on what, but in the context of structural violence, there are complexities that lie within the question of how, deliberately how violence is a continuum from the physical to the symbolic.
1: Okay, you got
3: me there. You're gonna have to break that down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so, that was a lot of
0: wisdom right there.
1: I, I know it's a, lot of, it's a lot of wisdom, but I might have to go to school for another
3: four years until you so break it down for me. Um, so language, as I said before, is a symbol. And so language itself is the causation in which grants authorization for violence to occur, many mm-hmm. of which are founded upon notions of power and governance. And so it's clear that the circumstances of one's birth dictate their future, and zip codes are simply mechanisms to inequitably permit opportunities for those who reside in those locations. And so the ra- racialization of space thereby is the exercise by which locality and communities are conveyed and translated into racial identity. So then structural violence is embedded within Kodician or everyday aspects of life. Once so routine and commonplace, they become normative.
0: So let me see if I can take uh, an interpretive stab at that no pun intended (laughs) um you know when you were talking about the zip codes and the communities um i can't help to think being a native san franciscan uh, uh, of all the gentrification that has and continues to take place here uh in the city and neighborhoods that i grew up in um, that were considered undesirable uh vis-a-vis the waterfront Dog patch are now very much hipsters and and uh, areas that have been, for lack of better word, taken over economically because um, occupied they were occupied through the vacancy of industry when san francisco became less of an industry city which is the waterfront where i grew up um those big warehouses were vacant and they had to be filled with something and you start uh, seeing the economy moving towards more of an e-commerce and more uh of um less manufacturing those started changing neighborhoods you know um there are individuals to date who have been struggling in the 70s, starting in the 70s um, when I was growing up, who are still struggling and fighting gentrification in the Mission District. Uh, there are voices who are stopping the Googles and the Yahoo's and the Ubers, you know, from from taking, um, uh, uh, evicting uh, single parents or fixed income folks and having them have to find housing. No longer in Oakland. Oakland used to be the getaway. Now folks from Oakland are being pushed out to even further east, Antioch, Brentwood, Oakley, you know. Um, So I guess I asked I ask that these undesirable zip codes are still welcome mats for um, exploited or exploiting communities to come in there and exploit and and um, uh, take over or occupy those lands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know uh, if, 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 if I'm making mm-hmm. a connection there, no, but that's what I, I, I thought. I feel
3: of. the residents. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there a
1: way, I mean... You know, I I hear that too. People say, okay, well it's being taken over by the Google, but we all use Google. You know, we all Google things. So we want we don't want Google to go away. Unless maybe I came up with something much better and then I would have all the Google money. But what I mean is, <laughs> is there is there a way where you could where people can support each other where people who live in zip codes that might be a little bit run down but where how they can benefit from more money coming in rather than being kicked out
0: well well clearly i think some of the work that that Monad is doing in in Guatemala uh, around economic development and social entrepreneurism is a model that has succeeded other parts of the world they need to, and and, and, there's, and there's programs here of course you know that that support women entrepreneurs and um quote-unquote minority enterprises, um, still not enough, still not enough. I, I think um, that, that we as consumers have to hold these um, corporations accountable um, for, their, um, for contributing to a social mission uh, and providing not just an economic benefit to their shareholders but providing a community benefit um, you know, Sima, being here in the Bay Area, you, you have seen the, the, um, the, the calling out of Silicon Valley's lack of diversity, lack of women leaders, um, and, and we can't give anybody passes. You know, um, those things or struggles that have occurred or have been fought for decades, we have to continue to put that pressure because otherwise— um, we'll be on the outside again looking in and it's not easy though.
3: I do agree with you and I think we all n- collectively need to work towards lifting one another not only ourselves and because we can never only do things that will benefit us or simp- solely us and I'm reminded of Negi um, Daifallah, who is a Yemeni immigrant um, farm worker um, from who, who worked alongside Cesar Chavez and the United Farmer Workers Union. He came to the United States, learned Spanish and English. He reached out to Arabic speaking as well as Spanish speaking farm workers to join the strike, viva la huelga, and like all these um, beautiful, empowering notions of collective effort and a galvanized like, power against the misuse of power, right? And um, he, his work is and was naturally intersectional because it was encompassing and very inclusive of many people. His objective or his uh, mission was broad enough to include the dreams and aspirations of many people d- of different backgrounds, of different faiths, of different uh, skin colors. So I think we have to work towards even just remembering that this world is more than just ourselves or for ourselves, we need to lift one another.
1: Okay, this is Simba the Inclusionist on the Michelle Miao Show with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. And right now we're going to break for a commercial break.
6: Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs.
5: The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook, and when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe,
3: I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start?
6: (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com.
4: And now back to the Michelle Meow show.
1: Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist on the Michelle Miao show, and today we're talking about everyday conversations on race with everyday pe- for everyday people. And my guests today are Edgar Cordos and Manat Al-Atma, and we've been talking about we've been talking about issues of race and 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 and, and color. I want to bring the conversation now towards how do we get, how do we break down, what's the best way to break down issues around race and fear? I mean, I know from my own experience, I was part of, for a long time, part of a Palestinian-Jewish dialogue group. And we had Palestinians and Jewish people who would, and some of the Jews were from Israel, who had never spoken to each other before. And as a result, they... People were able to drop so much of their fear and stereotypes, and people were able to to become friends. So, in your experience, what do you think? Do you have any experiences with with uh, having interpersonal conversations with somebody, interactions? And what's been your experience?
0: I, I would say, you know, life isn't always um, complex. You know, there's some simple things in life, and um, for me, there's, um, one could say there's many different kinds of emotions, but at the end of the day, there's really just two, and and it's love and or fear, and, and um, clearly, for me, love trumps fear, and folks normally fear things that they're unfamiliar with, or they fear things that they perceive are different, and um, so... I th- believe that um, simplifying the discussion, and asking the question, you know, what are you afraid of? What, what fears do you have by me being a DACA student, or by me being um, a, uh, a practicing Muslim? Uh, how and why does that instill fear? And I think it's because folks just don't know enough. Um, and they have already created their biases, and they have put up barriers, and um, they lack love. And I do think that, 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 that you could really um, uh, squash much of the hate. Now, again, folks will say that's very pollyanna and you know, pie in the sky. But when you have that one-on-one conversation... How does one model love, authentic, genuine love, um, and educate, as you say, Sima, to eliminate fear?
1: So, have you had an experience where there was maybe somebody from a culture you knew nothing about, and you had some interaction with them?
0: Well, of course, you know. I mean, that's.
1: That was one of the first things that you remember.
0: I remember the eye contact or the lack thereof. Um, I remember being um, sized up and down from shoe to head um, and, and how, uh, how fast one does the computation in their brain to start creating biases. Um, so, so so I've had so many different mixed um, uh, experiences. Um, you know, one of the things aside from societal cultures, you know, having just left um, a uh, a very large national corporation. There's there's corporate culture that that um, that one uh, has to battle with, as well, you know. So so and even there, even in corporations, you know, you have to deal with things uh, and eliminate the fear through information. Now, of course, it's um, it's fact based, evidence based, um, where you can make the strongest arguments. Um, but I'm trying to recall um, Sima an he experience.
1: Just told me one, the guy that the Muslim guy.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, did I did I say it already? Or no, I said not it off air? Oh, okay. No, no. I, I was uh, I was telling Sima and Manat not that one of the most um, profound learnings for me as a young 22 year old. Uh, my first day uh, in graduate school at UC Berkeley was meeting who is now one of my dear friends, Ishaq al-Farabi, who um, uh, continues to be an orthodox practicing Muslim, but um, was born with a slave name, as he tells me, uh, William Randolph from Mississippi, and realized that that he um, could not follow that name, and um, more recently um, uh, realized that he had much Native ex- Native American experience, so, so finds a tremendous solidarity. But the point is that that was my introduction to Islam, um, and and the learnings and the the few um, uh, scriptures that he read to me from the Quran really gave me what I thought was a genuine appreciation for a religion other than mine.
3: Thank you. We only have a couple of minutes left, and I'd like to hear from you, Manat. I would like to say that the Quran. Um, explicitly states that we were created in tribes so we get to know each other and in Islam um, there's a lot of importance on niya which means intention so like to make a sincere intention of getting to know one another or understanding one another sincere intention to getting uh, or to s- seeking knowledge even so everything is based on intention and so you need to uh, clarify your intentions with people um, and experience. The only experience I've had, honestly, is on UC Berkeley's campus. But what
1: I mean is, have you had any conversations with anybody mm. who was different than you? And as a result of having the conversation, the two of you were able to click with each other?
3: Mm, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> um, mainly because I talked to so many people. It's kind of... Okay. But... Then keep doing yeah. it.
1: <laughs> then it's something that you do on a, on a day by day basis, which is something that I do too. Um, I would like to th- I'd like to thank you both for being on my show. I hope you'll come back again. This is Sima Lieberman, the Inclusionist on the Michelle Miao Show, Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. Find me on Facebook. Find me on Twitter at the Inclusionist. Find me on LinkedIn.
2: Hi, my name is Courtney Ziegler, and I'm the founder of TransHack, which is an organization focused on creating technology for the trans community and visibility for trans technologists and entrepreneurs. (music) Tech is like the new industrial revolution. There's so many opportunities for wealth building and wealth creation is perfect for the trans community which experiences strong amounts of unemployment um, and low wages. TransTech provides an opportunity for trans individuals to take advantage of the wealth creation that the tech industry provides. Um, It's a space in which people who are in charge of innovation and development, all these awesome things that we are able to use through technology, are paid really well for that. And so I think that trans people should definitely have their hand in, in that space and creating that. And so TransHack provides that opportunity. I got my first computer when I was 15 years old in the 90s, and it changed my world ever since then, and I went on to become an independent filmmaker who had to uh, not only write and direct my own films, but also was just kind of doing the technical stuff behind it, which is the editing and the capturing and all those things. I've always had this kind of tech-based background. I'm just very curious about a lot of things and just very fascinated about things that I don't know um, and things that can make me a better person. All of that motivates me. I'm just like, what else can I know? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Success to me means a number of things. I think right now in my life, personally, it means waking up every day and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing and proud of myself. Just know what you want to get out of any particular industry. it's not an industry that's 100% inclusive in the ways that it should be, in the ways that it's progressing towards. Of all types of people, in, in terms of creating the tech and the industry itself, building its infrastructure. Um, but that's also exciting in the fact that like, um, people like me have a lot of room to change a lot of things and a lot of precedent to set. So, um, and that is the, the epitome of success. Spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo.
5: Together we'll go far.